One year, I kind of got an idea, you know, I want to try trap. I like to trap, I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the furball. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Representing trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Perfect and Game magazine. There's structure from Perigo Gorman. Perg Lennon's articles, the Perg Lennon ads. Information, trapping radios. We are trappers and ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because work it ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very much the same as the you got bogged down. They started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't know, get them better. Trying to set predator traps and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like it gets sheared. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Back in the fur shed, this is the Trapping Today podcast. I am Jeremiah Wood, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you for tuning in. Great to have you. We are brought to you by Cox Brothers Lures. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Kyle and Kellen Cox at the Trap and Supply Company out of Savannah, Illinois, and they will get you hooked up with everything you need to get started on the trap line. For Bates Lures, books, DVDs, go to kaatzbros.com. We're also brought to you by OnX Maps. Turn your phone into a fully functioning GPS. You can track uh, waypoints and, and uh, follow your tracks and locations, look at aerial imagery, landowner information. You can use it on the trap line, use it hunting, and I'm about to use it for some fishing this summer. So uh, I use this thing all summer. I, I use it uh, in so many different ways outside of hunting and trapping. Um, check out some fish habitat, look at where your truck is, make sure you can get back to the truck and figure out how far you've gone up along a stream. Uh, on X Maps, uh, it is an incredible resource. Enter the promo code TRAP at onxmaps.com for 20% off of your first purchase. Tonight's episode, we have Tyler Selden Part 2. This was an awesome interview with Tyler. We're going to get into that in a minute, but I want to just uh, give you a little wrap-up. This is the end, uh, two days ago, was the end of the trapping season here in northern Maine. So we have the spring beaver season that goes until the end of April. And finally wrap that up, and that marks the end of the trapping season for me. It's, uh, I guess it's probably it's been the longest trapping season that I have ever participated in you could say and it's been my best trapping season I I really think that it has been um, uh, obviously not in terms of prices or income and I of course income's never been a big part of it for me I've always been a, a part-time trapper working a full-time job or, or being in school so it, it's never been uh, a big you know the money's never been a big part of it uh, but, you know, in sense of, of from a hobby, part-time guy, you know, uh, the sense of accomplishment, the things that I set out to do and uh, trying to learn and continually improve and become a better trapper. I know a lot of you have, have similar goals and I, I really felt good about this year. So uh, I, I don't know, maybe I'll do it some sort of an episode this summer, just kind of going back through, uh, you know, 
a little bit of week by week or month by month on the season, you know, uh, but for, but just a, a quick overview. It started in the uh, the, uh, the 20th of October with, with early fox and coyote season, and I trapped coyotes uh, for the first time in, in a very long time. Um, and I had a lot of fun. I, I did pretty pretty well with that. Um, around that time, I also uh, did some beaver. Actually, I, I guess I tra- I started around the, I guess it would have been maybe the 15th of October. Uh, somewhere around there, I started, I started uh, beaver trapping somewhere around the time I started coyote trapping. I think it was, was a little later. But um, I did some fall beaver trapping. Um, got you know got some bait for for the upcoming martin and fisher season that opened up went out in the big woods and set a big line for martin and fisher uh, mostly for martin uh, it that's always a challenge i seem to be uh, fighting an uphill battle with that uh, trapping in areas where the habitat is changing and and it's probably less suitable for martin and and uh it it can be a challenge to catch them uh, even though they are there are some around but um, worked through that, saw some beautiful country. I spent a lot of time in some beautiful country. That was the best part of that and learned some new areas, uh, learned maybe a little bit in terms of, of different sets, types of sets, baits, lures, locations and stuff. I mean, you just pick up a little bit at a time. Um, and then, uh, we got into winter and really a good part of my time was spent planning for the trip to Alaska. And I, I made that trip in February that was so I, I actually didn't do any trapping in in January um, in preparation for the Alaska trip and uh, spent you know spent was gone for three weeks trapping in Alaska and that was the trip of a lifetime absolutely incredible then uh, got back from Alaska and then I spent uh, the the month of March I did some under ice beaver trapping I didn't tear it up I just stayed close to home and uh, picked up a few beavers and then I wrapped it up with uh, the open water beaver trapping, which started somewhere. Um, I stopped under ice trapping somewhere around the, the first few days of April. And the open water trapping started, oh, probably, uh, I think I was around the 20th of April, 20, 20th to the 23rd of April when things started to open up a little bit. And I trapped for, oh, a week, a little over a week probably probably maybe the 23rd to the 30th something like that um and i had a great time so uh, and i and i wrapped it up with a bang i had a lot of fun i actually just put up a youtube video on my channel trapping today on the under ice beaver trapping i just kind of pieced together different videos that i took with my phone while i was checking beaver traps uh through the ice and then uh, I, I did the same thing, similar thing, uh, during open water. Maybe next week or sometime I'll, I'll release a video on that. But check that out if you're interested in seeing more. Um, but yeah, I'm just kind of cleaning up now and uh, putting beaver pelts together. I get a couple of otter and uh, I ended up with uh, about 30 beaver this spring. And so that was... You know that that was good. I I I feel for the time I put into it. I I mean it was. I, I felt that I was pretty happy with the catch. I was pretty happy with you know my being able to you know to to find beaver within a relatively short distance of home. I I didn't drive further than uh, probably I pro- they were probably all within about a five mile radius of home. 
So that was pretty good. And more importantly, I was really happy about the quality of the catch. Because sometimes during the open water season, especially, you start to get beaver with, uh, with you know, cuts and scars on them and stuff. And uh, that that really uh, didn't seem to be the case this spring. Or, you know, or the, this winter they were great. You know, the, the quality was, was really good. Um, and, uh, you know, in March, about a probably about a dozen of those 30 came in March and and those are always they seem to be always be good beaver but uh, in the spring you know you, you get a few cuts and tears and scars and stuff but overall I mean this was this is the best collection of of beaver quality wise that I think I've trapped before so I was pretty happy with it I'm getting ready to ship those out caster prices are up um, I just sold some to a country buyer that was it was like semi dry caster uh, some of it was good and dry and, and some of it was just a you know few days a uh, few days old and he gave me $65 a pound and I was pretty pumped up about that um, I, until I saw the fur harvesters auction results they just came out with the caster results and the number one caster went for $100 a pound so it is just through the roof. I think it was 190 and 80 for one, two, and three caster. Of course, with that, you're going to have, uh, they will apply a certain amount of percentage of shrinkage, and then you're going to have uh, some commissions and stuff to pay, uh, as well as the, the shipping costs that gets deducted. So, you know, you can't compare the 100 to the 65, um, or the 80 or 90 to the 65. Um, and the other thing is, you know, the time it takes to actually get your check. Um, but I mean, obviously, fur har that is that is the highest price that that fur harvesters auction that I've ever seen caster. I think it's you know maybe the highest caster has ever gone for. So pretty awesome, uh, pretty encouraging. I know our friend Nathan from Minnesota was uh, was getting after the beaver pretty hard this winter and spring, and I hope he is rewarded with a very high caster price. Um, as well as the rest of you beaver trappers out there. So anyway, that's that's a little a little bit from my spring uh, season, uh, and um, we're gonna get into this interview. Uh, one other thing to mention is that uh, Cots Brothers Lures has really stepped up to the plate, and uh, we've got another thing going on uh, at the end of each episode, starting tonight. Uh, they are going to have a special spot where we're going to feature a, a different product or an offer or a discount or something uh, from Cots Brothers Lures. Um, you know, these guys have, have been really, really great supporters of the podcast, and I love having them on, and uh, and they're re it's really been fun to work with them. I, I sat down and interviewed Kyle a couple yesterday, actually, and we we went deep into the fur price situation and the fur market in general. That was a really fun conversation. I always have fun talking with Kyle. I'll probably play that in next week's episode. So, uh, so we'll get some really a bit of a deep dive into the fur market and uh, Kyle and Kyle's and my projections on what we see in the future uh, of fur. Of course, Kyle has a lot of uh, a lot of insight in the industry that I don't have because he's. He, he knows a lot of people and has been it, been in it for a very long time, so it's great to get his perspective. Um, but until then, let's get into tonight's episode. This is going to be awesome. Uh, Tyler Selden, part two. So when I interviewed Tyler, you know, we had a lot to talk about, and I could have probably talked for another... Actually, we did talk for another hour after, I, uh, after the interview was over, um, uh, off the record, but... 
um, we, we did talk for at least a full hour um, for the interview and and um, I I decided to split that up into a couple of, of pieces so last week you heard the first part of that interview and and this this week you'll hear the second part where uh, we talk a little more about Tyler's trap line and what it's like up there um, in in the interior in the Alaska bush and uh, trying to to make it pay trying to survive well enough to you know to be able to go back out and trap um, every year and it's a pretty awesome lifestyle if you want more information if you want to learn more about uh, you know where they trap what what things look like and everything uh, check out the TV show the last Alaskans it was it aired on the Discovery Channel for four seasons it's no longer on TV but you can find it on Amazon or or just about any of the other subscription um, services that you might have uh, on TV and and check them out um, check out the last Alaskans they they follow uh, several different families that trap in Alaska um, in the bush and it, it's just a, a really really great show um, it, it, it's probably uh, for a trapper I think it's probably the best show that that you'll ever see as it relates to uh, trapping and trapping lifestyle so check that out and uh, Tyler also talked a little bit about uh, he and Ashley uh, his wife have a website alaskaseldens.com that's s-e-l-d-e-n-s and I'll link to that in the show description they sell uh, some tan furs from their trap line some uh, skulls uh, art decorative stuff some fur ruffs uh, mittens, uh, a bunch of different things that they make, uh, wind chimes out of Lynx bones, just really cool stuff, uh, Lynx keychain, thing, di- all kinds of different items, uh, so check that out, and uh, if you want to support that lifestyle and you want something from the interior of Alaska that would be pretty cool to have around, uh, alaskaseldens.com, and with that, we'll get into the interview. And don't forget to stick around till the end of the episode for a special giveaway from Cotts Brothers Lures. People probably don't realize how expensive it actually is to get to your to your trap line. Yeah, that's the the major cost of running a, a remote trap line in Alaska is transportation. That's where most of your most of your proceeds go towards paying for the charters. Yeah. The airplane charters. Um, it's not, it, and it's not getting any cheaper. It's just, this gets more expensive every year that they hand us a bill. It's just, this costs us more, and the price of fur just keeps going down. So it is hard to, it's hard to make it, make it pay. Um, you're lucky if you, if you break even, and you're doing really great if you make a dollar. You know, I mean, it's just. <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's a lifestyle thing, you know. It's not about making money. I mean, you got to work when you're out there. We're working hard to catch fur and and make as much money as we can while we're there. But knowing in the back of our minds that we're never going to get rich off of this, you know, it's just we're just we we're lucky to maintain. Yeah, absolutely. And I, like so. a charter, you know, they used to have charter services at a, a lot of the villages, and now it's pretty much chartering out of Fairbanks. So you're you're sending a small plane. Oh, you must be. Are you an hour and a half or two hours from Fairbanks? Yeah, a couple hours. So you're probably fifteen hundred bucks every trip, anyway. Yeah, or better. 
So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's if people don't realize if you're talking about sixty or seventy dollars for a link pelt, uh, it, it takes <laughs> a lot of fur to, <laughs> to add up. Yeah, yeah, it does. No, you gotta you gotta supplement it somehow, and some years we do better at that than others. The, I mean, obviously the the filming was a big boost oh, for yeah. us. It basically launched us ahead by whatever ten years from. I mean, we would have just been scrapping and scraping to to get where we are now for another decade, but that that helped us get ahead, you know. Yeah. And it didn't pay great or anything, but it paid better than we were used to, and paid a hell of a lot better than trapping ever has and uh so and and the the other thing about the filming that really helped was we were talking about airplanes well there's a bunch of empty airplanes coming in yeah so you know we took full advantage of that and stockpiled a lot of stuff i bet yeah because <laughs> you i mean you can't afford not to right. i remember after the first season i watched two I watched an empty beaver fly in, which is a big air, big bush airplane. It can haul up to a thousand pounds. It has a lot of cargo space. I saw this empty beaver land in front of my cabin and an empty 185. Oh. I said, never, never again. Because <laughs> <laughs> they they had to, so. they probably had to fly a snowmobile in to film. Yeah, they did. We never had a machine before that. Well, we did. It was an old Elan, a '76 Elan that uh, the former trapper had left there and. I mean, it was, this thing was totally clapped out, and, um, but so we used it a little bit, but we never had much gas either. We'd always only have about 20 gallons of gas to go off of for the whole winter, so yeah, couldn't really afford to use it, and you know, we've, we've always been dependent on the dogs, but they did bring in a 550 Tundra. That was a revolution once that thing came in. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I mean, <laughs> once we learned how to drive it, it was like, Wow, this is that was, that was pretty sweet, you know. Now I can't imagine life without it to to haul firewood and mm-hmm. and whatever break trail when the snow's deep or right. I mean, yeah, log for building cabins. I mean, it's it's pretty sweet tool. So uh, th- let's talk a little bit about dogs because uh, you know since the '70s, people have been transitioning from dogs to snowmobiles on trap lines uh, pretty much everywhere in Alaska uh, and and there are a few people that still keep dogs but uh, it's it's not as common anymore um, I guess kind of curious as to you know you guys run dogs and and how what are the what what influenced your decision to go that route instead of just going the machine route Oof, I don't know maybe it was Maybe if I was to be brutally honest with myself, it was just us being naive. I just wanting to to be, I don't know, some purist streak or whatever. We wanted to be more traditional, and we always thought dogs were really cool, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, we always just, whenever we saw dogs before we got them in a, in a team, you know, huskies running in a team, it was there's just something magical about it to us. And uh, you know, we we knew we were getting into trapping for the experience, you know for the lifestyle and just to live the way we wanted to live. And, um, I dreamed about, and I mean, dogs were part of that dream, I guess, just to do it that way, do it the old way. Yeah. And, um, so, but I mean, we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into <laughs> when we got those dogs. Uh, 
Um, I'd never driven a dog, driven a dog team before, and I had no idea how to manage a bunch of dogs. And we got these rowdy ass dogs out of Eagle. Uh, these <laughs> these Inuit dogs, they're fighters, man. We got six of them, and they they just totally dominated me that that first winter. I mean, I was doing nothing but breaking up dog fights and. Were they from a trapper? Or they, were, they, were they like racing dogs? Or? No, no, they're they're big burly uh, Canadian Eskimo dogs. They're, the biggest one was like 110 pounds. Jeez, and wow. They kind of just went down from there. They were just beasts, and uh, and they 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 recognized me and Ashley for what we were right away. You know? <laughs> like total total dumbasses that didn't know what they were doing. So they just they just took advantage of us. In every way imaginable, and uh, it that was a major learning experience that first winter, and I can't believe we stuck with it, but uh, but we did, and the dogs taught us a lot, and finally we were able to to manage them after a couple of years, you know. Those same dogs, you were able to, to get them under control. Yeah, we 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 used that that original um, bunch to to build our our team, and. Uh, you know, we had some litters and stuff, and there was one really good bitch in there that would throw. She threw some good pups for us, and we kind of built on top of what she gave us. And um, but yeah, it was it was fun learning. Um, but yeah, that that first winter they drove us; we didn't drive them. <laughs> and and the, when you get the dogs, you're you're uh, kind of signing an agreement that you'll take care of them the whole year. And you will feed yeah. them, and you'll procure food for them for the winter. And so, so that brings uh, with it brings fishing in in the summer mm-hmm. and fall, right? And and, mm-hmm. uh, and hauling in a bunch of food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a it's a year round job, and it's expensive too. Um, once you get into town, you got it, you're having to buy their their food, and um. And that's another thing you got to fly out there, you know, every year, fly them out, fly them back in. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, it's a major, major commitment and they, they need attention and care every day, but, um, the fishing and, and the cooking and all that stuff that goes along with having a dog team is something that we kind of enjoy. You know, we don't mind that, that part so much, but, um, it's all just part of the lifestyle. And you're on a pretty good river for salmon. Um, have you ever had issues getting enough fish, or is it usually not a problem? <laughs> well, yeah, we've had issues. That first year, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know what we were doing when it came to anything. <laughs> we just we just went out there and like just we learned and we learned the hard way. Yeah. But we didn't we didn't know. I mean, the first place we set our net, looking back on it. It was just a ridiculous idea. I mean, it was like right in this rapid and this big <laughs> boiling rapid. And, uh, we had this leaky John boat that we were trying with no motor, you know, that we were trying mm-hmm. to set this net with and nearly drowned a couple times trying to set it. And, and I remember the first time we pulled it out of the water, it had one dead salmon in it. <laughs> and I was like, this is a joke. You know, there's no fish in this river. And, uh, I thought this was supposed to be a good salmon river and <laughs> no, we couldn't catch anything. And, um, we ended up catching like maybe 30 or 40 salmon that winter. And, Ouch. and, uh, that first year, which is not even close to enough to feed a dog team with, but we came in with like, I think we had 10 bags of kibble and some fat and 
we used that sparingly and then we fortunately the lynx population was really high that winter and okay. and uh, we fed we fed a lot of our carcasses to the dogs we we did okay trapping you know enough to get by and but the dogs were a little skinny when we left i'll have to admit <laughs> and but. so that first year you kind of hit the ground running um with yeah. traps because the traps were already out there i assume the trails were you could probably find most of them uh or enough mm-hmm. to, to set up yeah yeah that was part of the uh that was part of the fun when we first got there was we had to find the traps because the guy that that trapped there before was a pretty paranoid man <laughs> i've heard <laughs> the stories <laughs> yeah he liked <laughs> he liked to hide things and he gave us this really crude map before we went up there. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is how you, the traps right over here. You aren't having trouble finding them. <laughs> so we, we looked at this map and we got up there and we searched for like a week. Really? And I didn't think we'd ever find our traps. Yeah. But we finally found them. And, uh, and then we started looking for trails and we found all the trails and they were kind of brushy and needed work. And there weren't, were there, there wasn't much for trails actually. And, um, so we, we opened them up and uh, and then started trying to figure out how to run dogs. And I mean, it wasn't like I really knew how to trap either, but uh, not not in Alaska. Um, so that was a learning experience. Just trying to. Well, I look back on some of the sets I made, and I just shake my head at myself, you know. <laughs> but um, fortunately, links are really easy to catch. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is a good thing. And and. If you had hit it on a low si- low end of the cycle, you may not have uh, you may you may have been a little discouraged as far as going back the next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it, everything just kind of worked out to to encourage us to keep going. Although the one thing was that when we went in there, that we were on a high. You know, the fur market was on a high when we went in. It was three hundred dollars nose count for link. Wow, really? Is what they were given. Yeah, and. Uh, it was just a temporary little upswing and and um so every time we we bagged a cat i was like oh yeah there's three hundred dollars there three hundred there you know oh we're making money and um then the then there was the crash yeah that was when the the, the stock market or the you know the financial crash like happened 08, 09. yeah yep and and the, you know the world was coming to an end and the fur market dropped and we brought our cats back to town and they they averaged like 45 bucks or something oh, oh that's brutal so. <laughs> but at the time you know i was so excited and gung-ho about trapping after that that i didn't care i would have given them away you know and <laughs> still gone back out done it again so then then oh. at that point you were probably like okay now what do i have to do all summer so that i can go back next fall and do this yep. again yep yep we were you know fortunately i had work with that log builder i just went back to work for him and and I got a job on the side besides that, so, um, and Ashley had two jobs. We were just working our ass off and saving money, and, of course, we ended up blowing most of it on trapping at the end of the summer. <laughs> <laughs> That's hard uh, like to do. Good tra- like, yeah, like any good trapper would, and uh, so then the, that we went out again, and Ashley was like, I'm not doing that again, she said. I'm not. I'm not going to just blow all our money on trapping again. And she, we, when we got back to town that spring, we were homeless. We didn't have anywhere to go. 
hardly had any money. It was kind of a pitiful situation. And um, he said, you know, we got to stay in town and get some property of our own and a little cabin before I'm going to go out and do that again. So we ended up taking a little detour to, to for a couple couple see we had to actually take a couple seasons off and oh really we, we got this yeah we got this place here in fairbanks and that must got have it killed paid you. off oh i was i was beside myself you know but it was a good it was a good test for me you know it made me it tested our you know actually and i's relationship and made us stronger together and yeah made me realize that it wasn't just all about what i wanted to do and um and but it you know it made me realize that i you know, I desperately wanted to, needed to go back out there, and we we worked pretty hard while we were in town and got this our property and cabin paid off in two years, and um, we were pretty motivated, you know, and we got back out there, and we've been going ever since. Nice. And now yeah. now you've doubled the size of the of the trapping crowd out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're up to up to four of us now. How has that changed things? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's it changes things. I mean, things are still still the same, but they're a lot different. They're just um, there's there's kids involved now. It changes a lot. Logistics and priorities and demands on one's time yeah. and energy. <laughs> so, yeah, because Ashley hope- used to go out. You guys used to go out and trap together. Now, obviously, she's got to take care. Or one of you's got to take care of the kids, and so you. Yeah, sometimes both of us have to take care of the kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. We don't. We don't really go out anymore together. We we do. We do travel between cabins occasionally together. Yeah. Um, but we used to do everything together before the kids came along, and we got out, you know, a lot more and not just to trap, but just to spend our days outside, you know, just yeah. In the fall, you know, before trapping starts just out there every day, hiking around, looking for stuff and working on things and working on trails and whatever, you know, needed to be done. And now she spends a heck of a lot more time in the cabin, which I mean, sort of has sort of feels like a prison to her a lot of the times now, okay. you know, because of the isolation and, Stuck in there. Dark all the time in the winter. Yep. Very dark place. Although we did the best we could to build a nice house and um, put a lot of windows in there. Yeah, that, that, I mean, if we were living in the old, in Ron's old cabin, boy, it would be, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think, I don't think that would be happening. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, so so do you know like do you, have you you must have thoughts about the kids and how long you can do it how, or how long you want to do it and bring the kids out and do do that all uh, together as a family. Oh, well, um gee, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm going to do this till I die. Oh. <laughs> uh, no doubt about that. Um uh, yeah. of course but you see you know a lot of families when school when when the kids get school age uh things start to change um and and uh, you got to sure. either decide am i going to homeschool the kids or we got to go move to town and and uh uh-huh. kids stay in town wife and kids stay in town and you go out and trap 
uh, you know, a couple weeks at a time or whatever. Um, probably don't yeah. need to worry about that just yet, but I'm sure it's crossed your mind. I think it would cross mine. Yeah, I'm definitely a a worrier type. You know, I I look way ahead and try and figure things out before I really can. And oh, I I mean, I guess we, we you know actually I've talked about it a lot, and um, she actually wants to homeschool the kids, and uh, you know she's she's into the lifestyle. You know, she it's part of her too. Yeah. Um, and she wants to keep doing it. It's just we're at a challenging point right now with the kids being so so young and um and they're not i mean you can't drag them around on a trap line i mean people used to do that you know they used to just lash them to the dog sled and away they went but every once in a while you know one would suffocate or fall off the sled and die and you know we don't really want that to happen so uh so we're, we're we're pretty careful with them out there but um once ashley's uh ashley's sure that you know, this is going to pass when they, when the kids get older, a little older, even five or four or five years old, we're just going to be able to go, I think again. Yeah. Um, and she'll be able to get out of the house and maybe she won't mind me being gone as much. You know, I mean, that's a big problem right now is if I'm hitting the trap line hard, then she's at home alone for, you know, every day, all day. And then I come home and I just put on my headlight and skin. (laughs) Yeah. Until, until the kids go to bed and I'm up till 11 or whatever skinning and then I climb up, climb up there covered in grime and slime and uh, get back up and do it again. And, you know, that's not the most romantic uh, situation for, <laughs> for a lady to be living in, you know. And so, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's been challenging, but we certainly don't entertain any thoughts of quitting. I mean, right. that's who we are and we're just figuring it out as we go and, um, you know, eventually we might have to take a year off, or maybe even two, if that's if that's what it takes to keep everybody happy. But um, it, it'll just be a, a temporary um, temporary thing, you know. And uh, I and we're both on the same page. We both really want to raise our kids up in this lifestyle, and we see the value in it. Yeah, for them to have that experience. And um, I mean, we look at some of the other kids that were raised that way that we're now friends with you know and uh they they don't regret it do they lewis kids and the the jago kids and i don't know they don't they don't regret it and they're just fantastic people you know and um great work ethics and they're confident and super capable and knowledgeable and smart and um you know if if we can do that well with our kids then i'd be i'd be pretty proud you know and and I feel like that's really a major being, you know, being raised in the bushes is what made those kids what they are, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah. so I don't feel like we can go wrong. Although, you, you know, there, I, I, there are some things that I worry about, of course, with raising kids in the bush. And one is socialization. You know, they might, they might be awkward around other people or really shy or not fit in. And then their part, you know, another thing that Charlie Jago warned me about was you, uh, if you're raised up in that lifestyle and that's all you know, and then you come back to town as an adolescent or whatever, and uh, or even as a young adult, and, and you look around you and you realize that you're part of a, 
basically part of an, an, a culture that's going extinct, <laughs> and that's not valued, you know, huh. by society. Interesting. Uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. He says that's a difficult thing to to grapple with huh. for him, anyway. He assumes it would be for for any kid raised like that. Yeah, and he never would have thought of it before, probably. No, no. Before no, he so. went, went went back to town. Um, I, I mean, the difference, of course, is you know they would they they'd be in town in the summer anyway, so so they'd be able to get, yeah you know be social and, and meet with people and, and that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and and you know pretty balanced. I feel like if they're spending a good portion of their time in both places. Yeah, and uh, you know their mother actually is a very um, outgoing social person, and. Uh, I think that will rub off on them. I'm, I'm a little more socially reserved and <laughs> awkward, but Ashley will, Ashley will balance that out for him. I yeah, think. Yeah. So they're not they're not totally disadvantaged. And I will tell you, my boys are four and seven, and the, a couple years makes a huge difference. Like I, I would take them. You know, if I if I had to jump on a snowmobile and run traps for for 40 miles. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have done that two years ago. I would do it now. So, uh, uh-huh. I, I think they, they come along pretty quick after a while. Right. Yeah. No, I'm look. we're looking forward to that. I mean, this this stage in their development is, is wonderful. As you know, I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, I, I, they bring so much joy to our lives, but they're also, they also put huge limitations on what you can do. So yeah, look, kind of looking forward to getting, getting to the point where they're able to just, you know, jump in the sled and go, or whatever. You know, help out with things and and be a little more active. So, for sure. Do you, do you yeah. ever did you ever read James Carroll's book uh, Above the Arctic Circle? Oh yeah, I read that like thirty times. Okay, so the the trip when, when he takes the kids up to to the old crow flats, muskrat trapping. <laughs> yeah. No, I, mean, I, I mean, do that's... that with my kids. <laughs> I've 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 cited that a few times, and when I'm arguing with Ashley about whether the kids are ready or not, you know, oh look what James, look at James and Fanny did with their kids, you know. Yeah. Ashley, that doesn't that doesn't, doesn't carry lie. much currency. <laughs> <laughs> Getting lost out in the middle of the crow flats for a bunch of, you know, one penny muskrat hides was yeah. maybe not the best idea. <laughs> have you, Have you ever talked to Richard while you're in town? No, it's always been on my to-do list, but I've never, yeah. never made it over there to. I don't know if he's him. all. I don't know if he's still all there, but um, yeah, just curious. He'd probably tell a few stories still. No, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he would. Yeah. I, I don't know, maybe if this, if we're allowed to ever go into the old folks' home again, I, I might have to go see him. Yeah. <laughs> but. Well, hey, um, we should talk about your uh, your website and stuff because you know talk about how expensive it is to live that lifestyle. Um, and you guys are creative and finding ways to, to make it work. Um, and you just started selling some, some things, some tan furs and other, other crafts and things. Yeah. Yeah. We, somehow we, we managed to learn how to use the internet a little bit and, uh, we made a web page. Uh, it's mostly about Ashley's Ashley has a blog on there. It's uh, the, the site is Alaska Seldon's dot com and so you can go there and read her blog post she just writes about our lifestyle tells stories about our time in the woods and um kind of the the how-to of how how we do a lot of stuff and uh 
and family stories and it, it's just kind of people seem to enjoy it a lot of people read it and, and get pleasure out of it and we also put a put a shop up on the same site and we're just selling our pelts on there we're tanning our wolves and wolverine and a lot of our link and um some fox and we're just selling those for what we feel like is a fair price um considering everything that goes into getting them you got to charge what it takes and it's a way to make a little bit more than what you're going to make selling it to the auctions and we also make some stuff ashley's getting into sewing quite a bit you know she's making mittens and booties and um and ruffs so i would uh i would encourage any trapper out there who wants to wants to show their pride in fur to at least try and wear some fur every once in a while there's no better way to advertise it and if you're looking for a rough for your parka or whatever ashley's making some pretty skookum ones for a reasonable price and we're also selling uh some craft items I, i'm kind of a bone collector i i can't stand to throw away bones from the animals i catch and i make stuff out of those and uh yeah there's there's something for something for everybody on there if you dig around yeah, we should probably explain to people the importance of a rough when it's 30, 40, 50 below zero and you're, you're riding around there. Uh, um, I, I certainly learned that this past winter. Came up roughless or you were wearing one? <laughs> I was wearing one. I was glad I was. Okay, uh, yeah. Uh, Jim, okay, Jim yeah. lent one to me. And uh, yeah. I, I was trying to figure out how, because here, you know, in northern Maine, we just wear snowmobile helmets. Um, right. And I was trying to figure out how you guys how you guys did that without you know as cold as as much you know you're on average at least you know 15 20 degrees colder than us and and sometimes more and i'm thinking man how do those guys like like you see Hymo on the show riding on snow snow machine uh, with just the rough you know nothing covering his face um, and and uh i kind of prepared for the worst and i i put that thing on at um at 15 below 20 below and it was pretty incredible uh, the difference it made yeah no it it'll keep your face warm it just it just holds that heat in you know if you have a good a well-designed parka hood and then cinch that baby up tight so you just got your little breathing hole and your space to look out of i mean you you can you can withstand some pretty serious wind chill and um and cold it, it makes all the difference you take that, you flip your hood back and keep driving at that speed and you'll soon be freezing. <laughs> your nose will be frozen, but yeah, yeah, yeah it just it does it. And so, so Ashley's sewing these up to where if you have a, a coat with a hood on it, you can, you can just take this rough and sew it right onto your coat, right onto the hood, right? Yeah, you can just sew it right on there. It's, she's, she's cutting them to about uh, 28 to 30 inches, which is kind of the standard hood the standard hood that would be on most coats and um yeah if, you, if you're even reasonably skilled with a needle and thread you can attach it yourself i what we recommend doing is buying a zipper okay and and sewing that onto your parka and then that way you can take it on and off mm -hmm. when you want to wash your coat but um we're we're also looking at maybe improving the design so it's all you have to do is sew some buttons onto the onto your hood and then you can button the thing on Okay. Yeah. But just just to make it easier, but we haven't quite got there yet. Where this is all just a work in progress for us. We're just trying to figure out what works and and what doesn't. Yeah. 
So alaskaseldons.com, and you're probably boiling skulls and bleaching and doing all that stuff uh, right now since you're just back in from the trap line. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's been keeping us busy. We've got got a bunch of projects going and two squealing kids crawling around all the time and uh, um, trying to work on the website and trying to find find work and yeah, there's lots to do, getting the garden going, stuff like that, all the little plants around the table. <laughs> so that time of year again. Absolutely. Well, uh, yeah. hey, Tyler, I really appreciate your time, and uh, and thanks to Ashley for keeping the kids occupied. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun talking trapping with you. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Good to talk to you and, and do it again sometime maybe. Yep, absolutely. All right, guys, thank you for tuning in to the end. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Tyler Selden as much as I did. It was great to have him on. Um, and now it's time for our special giveaway from Kellen Kotz of Kotz Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S. Kellen is going to give away his Black Book of Coyote Trapping and the Flat Set Fix DVD. We've had, uh, we did this giveaway a couple of times last fall. It was a huge hit. Um, this also includes the foundations of Predator Trapping Primer. If you want to boost your fox and coyote catch next season, this book and DVD will provide the blueprint, the system, and the motivation to get out and get it done. You'll develop a better understanding of coyote location, permissions, and planning, equipment choices, and an in-depth understanding of dispersal and travel patterns to take more coyotes and fox. As a bonus, Kellen's also including a copy of the Foundation's Predator Trapping Primer with even more insights, tips, tactics to cultivate a more complete coyote trapper. It, so the book, the DVD, and the primer are a giveaway for free. You do not have to pay. You do not have to pay shipping. This is just courtesy uh, of, of Kyle and Kellen there at KBL. Um, thanks so much to them for offering this. So basically, all you need to do is send me an email at jrodwood at gmail.com, J-R-O-D-W-O-O-D at gmail.com. I'm going to give it a couple of days, and uh, I will probably, I'll, I'll do the first 10 emails that come in. Um, I will take those and draw them out of a hat and pick one, and we'll send you the, the book and the DVD. All right? Thanks, guys, and we will catch you on the next episode. But until then, keep on talking trapping, keep on thinking trapping, and if you can't trap, it's time to get ready for next season. <laughs>